Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zach, and you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. Recording from my office in beautiful Marietta, Georgia, you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast, Episode 17. Today, we have speaker, marathoner, and author of two books, Zachary Fennell. The first, Off Balanced, is a memoir about what it was like growing up and living with cerebral palsy, as well as Rock Realities, a compilation of 13 interviews he did with indie and alternative rock musicians. We discuss his most recent endeavor, completing a marathon, and all the challenges that came up for him being a person with cerebral palsy. After the podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash thinkinclusivepodcast, where you can support our goal to bring you in-depth interviews with inclusive education and community advocacy thought leaders. Also, you can help other people find us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the Think Inclusive podcast. So without further ado, here is the interview. All right. I'd like to welcome Zachary Fennell to the Think Inclusive podcast. Um, He is also known as the Cerebral Palsy Vigilante. He is a disability advocate who uses multiple platforms to send messages dispelling disability misconceptions and encourages everyone to examine the uh, the possible. Um, he recently completed a marathon, uh, and that is why I wanted to have Zach on to talk about his experience, his training, and um, I guess how that informs, you know, what we what we know about disability or disability rights. So thanks for being on the podcast, Zach. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Um, now, if uh, if you've been a either a long-time reader or a long-time um, listener um, to Think Inclusive, you know that Zachary has been uh, a contributor for since practically the beginning uh, of, of Think Inclusive. So 
Zach and I go way back, but this is the first time we've actually had a uh, a chance to um, uh, record an interview. So I'm really excited about this, and uh, and we actually haven't caught up in a while. So why don't I ask you, um, Zach? So what have you been what have you been up to for the last uh, six months to a year? <laughs> Six months to a year. So, uh, <laughs> let's see where to start. Obviously, uh, since the summer, you've mentioned the marathon. Um, since the uh, early summer, I've been training heavily for that. Uh, back in um, in uh, what was it? Uh, May. I started working part time at the Beachwood Public at a local library as a page, and so I'd do that part time, and then you know, keeping my purpose with I have uh, my own blog. In addition to contributing to Think Inclusive's website, I have my own blog at ZacharySnell.com, and I've actually it's been recent. A couple of recent honors. One was uh, I was named among a hundred of the. I'm trying to remember the exact title. Was it like hundred best disability blogs by Stairlifts UK? And then recently, also Health Unlocked. I was shortlisted out of the hundreds of. Blogs nominated. I was one of 30 shortlisted in the running for one of their Health Blogger Awards. And what is really neat about that was that it wasn't just cerebral palsy, which is the disability I focus on a lot, or just any disability. It it was a health blogger thing and not just uh, blogging. Uh, or disability blogs, so the two fields are very have a lot of commonality, but at the same time, there is a lot of you know, it's you know, when you start when you open it up from disability health blogger, you are opening it up to a larger field, and to be even shortlisted among the blogs considered was an honor. Wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Well, um, so it sounds like you've been pretty busy. So um, <laughs> let's um, let's talk about let's talk specifically about the marathon because I know that that is something that um, you just finished and that was last week. Um, yes. Correct. And you yeah, said, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say actually at the time of us recording this podcast it would have been i would have been in the final two and a half miles to on the way to the finish line so the timing of it there's like some parallel timing there uh yeah so you're like you'd be in the the home stretch <laughs> yes so um let's talk a, let's talk a little bit about how you trained and then after that maybe um just kind of the experience um, of running the marathon uh, because uh, this is this isn't actually your first marathon. You did a half marathon uh, previously. Is that correct? 
correct. Yeah, in 2016, um, the the Tope, it's the Towpath Marathon is the name of the event. 2016, I did. They have a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon in October. Uh, and I did the half marathon last year, 13.1 miles. And then after I completed that, my friend who did the marathon with me this year cha- challenged me. He's like, what are you going to do now? And I was just kind of like, well, my goal was to do the half. So I didn't really have like an answer. And he kept pushing me to do the marathon and encouraging me to do the marathon. I finally said, I'll do the marathon if you do it with me. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of like, you know, he, one day I got a text from him in the morning, early morning, uh, showing me that he had registered for the uh, Topaz Full Marathon. And I was like, okay, this is real now. And I had a study, I got with my training and started with my training and, uh, and moving forward with that. That's, uh, that's so awesome. Um, so if, in case you don't know, um, how hard it is to prepare for something like that, just for your body to be used to, um, be in motion for that long. Um, I, I had the privilege of running a half marathon in 2015, um, and trained, I mean, I trained, (laughs) but, uh, it was, um, it was definitely time consuming and, um, it just, you know, took a lot on, you know, a lot of wear and tear on your body. And, um, so, but it was a great experience. Um, so I, I want to hear from you kind of, you know, what, uh, and I guess what inspired you or what prompted you to uh, even go down the road of uh, doing these marathons uh, from the half marathon to the, to the full marathon. All right. So just, it really all starts back in a, the spring of 2011. I was hanging out with a couple of friends every, um, weekly and they were training for a triathlon. And at the same time, I was reading a book, An Unlikely Story of Challenge and Triumph Over Cerebral Palsy, Someone Like Me, by John W. Quinn. And John had uh, cerebral, has cerebral palsy like me, and he spent 20 years. He had to hide his CP from the Navy, but he spent 20 years in the Navy reaching the second highest rank and reading his story really made me feel like, wow, I want to do something physically challenging. Like, just listen, reading what John had wrote, and I just, like, how much of a physical challenge what he went through was, it motivated me to want to go to do something physically challenging. And uh, the friend does hang up with at the time, doing triathlon i don't ride a bike so my thought was well i'll do a marathon and i asked like oh how long's a marathon they're like 26.2 miles so i'm like well, i'll do a half a marathon because in my mind it was unreasonable like oh that's a lot i can't do a marathon so i just like i'll do a half marathon and fast forward a couple of years and 
I really wasn't making too much progress on the goal. It was something I kept saying I was going to do, but didn't do. And then I did like a one mile. Uh, those Tim knows, and those you who know me know I'm a huge Cleveland Indians fan, and they had a uh, they had a, an event at their um, Progressive Field, their home field, where the the last mile was going through. Well, they it was they had a it was a 5K and then a one mile fun walk, and the you end up on the field. Then during the one mile fun walk that year, and this is 2014, that gave me that taste of what I needed to motivate myself to get serious about doing um, about going after a half marathon. And I started training. It took me two years to get to the point where I can do the half marathon. Because the, when I first started training, the most I could do was four and a third miles. And then I was just completely wiped out, completely mm. exhausted. Mm. And when I hit and I, in, like I said, towards the end of that, go a month before the, um, a month before that half marathon, my friend James, who I did the marathon with, uh, had me come in to speak to he coaches uh, uh, cross country at a local high school. He had me come in to speak to them, give like a quick five minute pe- uh, pep talk, and, and afterwards, him and the coach, his other coaches, were asking me what's next, and kind of hinted at this really. He was like, "What's next?" And I'm like. The goal is to have. It was still in my mind, kind of, I considered unreasonable to do a marathon. In my head, I was telling myself, it's unreasonable to do a marathon. It, I have CP. I, you know, it, I exert extra energy just to, you know, with each step than usual. So I'm just going to get exhausted faster. I want to be able to do a marathon, but... Like I said, James kept persisting, and finally I said, I'll do it if you do it. And that led us to June of this year, 2017. And James had said, I'm going to, I did this, and then I'm like, okay. So he, he registers, and I'm like, okay, I have no, I, no excuses. I have to, I told him if he did it, I would do it. And so I started training, and the first thing I did in training was I just started getting out regularly where I would, three times a week, I would be getting out and walking about six miles just to get out, do six. Because after the half marathon, I actually, admittedly, I kind of, I kind of fell off my training and I kind of, you know, fell out of half marathon shape, so I had to really re-tick back up. And so I would do, a, you know, six-mile walk three times a week and just, just to get my body used to, I guess, being tired so mm-hmm. that by the time I would do the actual uh, full marathon and I'd get tired, instead of letting myself shut down, I'd be like, okay, I'm used to this. I You know, I, I can persevere through any fatigue I'm feeling. And I started doing that, and at the same time, I started reaching out to anyone who had the marathon experience 
that I knew of that I could get advice from them. John actually, John Quinn, the author of that book I mentioned, was somebody who had done a marathon, and so I reached out to him. I have a friend, uh, Michael Manazzi, who is he's represented the United States in uh, race walking, and so he's done a lot of long distances. So I asked him for advice. Uh, James had a friend, uh, Sean, who's done marathons, and I asked them for advice about, okay, what do I need to do? Now, what else do I need to do for training? What do I need to eat? Cause that's one of the things to me that woke me up about training for a marathon. It isn't just putting on some miles and getting ready for endurance and building up your endurance. It really is a, a lifestyle change. You have to be eating uh, more, you know, more calories, to be able to have the fuel in your body, you want to make sure that, you know, one of the pieces of advice they, uh, they gave me was train when you're going to do the race. So if I'm, you know, I actually started the Towpath Marathon. Their course runs from, they, they have a walkers and runners registration. I registered to walk it. And I was, the walkers can start at 7, and then the course technically closes at 2. That's when their permit goes to, and then it, the, the course opens back up to the public. Mm-hmm. I had contacted Topath saying that I thought it was going to take me longer than that, so if I could start at 5.30, if that would be possible... And they worked with me to set that up. And so I was training early morning to get out and just, you know, putting on, uh, you know, I, I increased my miles from doing six to doing a, you know, basically doing a half marathon distance a couple, day, couple of times a week and just continuing with, increasing miles and building up endurance and basically simulating what the environment was going to be. Early on in my training, I used a, a cane when I to complete the marathon. Early on in my training, I knew that that might be an option, but I was going to train without it first just to make sure, uh, you know, just to see if I could do it. You know, it's in my mind, I worried that if I used my cane, that I'd be cheating myself out of some of the some of the workout. And it just came, and I had to realize that when you're doing a when you choose to do a marathon, you're not cheating yourself out of anything. That my <laughs> legs are still getting the workout. The cane is just there to help me with my balance. Right. And so I, uh, John was the one who told me. Make sure you're, um, you know, it's like train the way, you know, train in what you're going to wear, train with what equipment you're going to use. So I started using the cane after a couple of months. Eventually I had, I had a couple of falls as I was training, and I just decided that, you know, I noticed that, you know, they were coming, the falls were coming when I was hitting the 9, 10-mile mark. So I kind of realized 
that it was just this level of exhaustion that I should really, um, I should take my cane and start training with my cane, and that's what I did, and just gradually you know, increased the miles I was doing a number of times a week. Um, and is there any, any more specifics about? my training regimen that you would like me to go into? Um, yeah, I, well, you kind of answered a few of the questions I had, like how many times a week did you train? So I think that was three times per week. And yeah. then, um, uh, typically, um, well, I, I guess here's, here's my question is because, because of the, the CP, was there anything that you did, you know, that was, different or unique uh than you know any other i guess how any other person would train um like if you reached out to you know certain people and they said well you know you should do this specifically because you know because you have cp or was it was there nothing like that there were there was a couple things, you know, one of the biggest obstacles, you mentioned this when you, when you were t talking about training for the half marathon, it, it is really time consuming. Mm. And when I do, I basically was expecting to do three miles each hour as is my pace. So to find the time to, in, you know, continuing to increase um, my, you know, my mer the training, I was, it was, it was difficult to find the time. So like so I talked about how I increased, I would, I started with like six, doing six miles three times a week. And then I increased it to where I was like doing a half marathon twice a week and, you know, going from there. The last month of training, I especially the latter two weeks, I was like, I was told that, you know, John was actually the one who told me and uh, Mike, my friend Mike, who Team USA um, race walker, you know, kind of agreed with him that, you know, if you can, you should be shooting to be able to do 20 miles before you do the marathon. Because if you can do 20, you can do 20 point, you can do 26.2. And I started, you know, I never actually got to that 20 because of finding the time to do it. I ended up move, eventually going back to, like, doing 9, 10 miles three times a week. And I just, again, it was a lot of it just due to finding that much time to train with or train to have the train. Right. And um, so... I kind of knew, I kind of felt going in, like, I felt like my legs were strong enough. Like, if I'm, I'm, I'm doing this consistently week after week, my legs feel strong. I felt strong that I was going to be able to do the marathon. Part of it, part of me, there was a little doubt because, you're like, I've never actually done a marathon. So, mm -hmm. but, like, you know. How, it's hard to know 100% for sure whether or not I'm ready, but I felt ready, and I just kind of like, so that was one aspect of the training where I didn't get exactly to where 
I was told to get, and a lot of the reason just dealt with finding the time and the fact that it involved, like, to train to that level, I would have had, or to train to that milestone of 20 miles, I would have had to find seven hours worth of time to train and around seven hours of time to train. And I just, it was very, uh, you know, having a part-time, we you know, talking about earlier what I was doing this the previous six months and how busy I am, you know, it's, it was hard to find, it, it was fine. It's hard to find that time. Right. How long, um, how long did it take you to finish the marathon? On Sunday, it took me eleven hours, um, eleven hours, forty minutes, and thirty-one seconds. It. I expect. I went in there with an expectance of finishing in eight and a half hours. Obviously, that kind of was blown out of proportion. It. It was. I basically was walking for nearly half a day, almost half a day right. to complete it. But uh, I think a lot of that, I think the diff, I think the three-hour difference from what I expected and what I, what I achieved it in, a lot of it dealt with uh, just listening to my body. It was like around the 10-mile mark, I started feel like my right ankle started bothering me a little bit, and I stopped for a minute cleared out, I had some debris in my shoe, so I cleared out my shoe, and then I, you know, worked my ankle a little bit with my hand and then continued on, uh, but I was, I, I didn't try to overdo it, I was, I respected what my body was telling me, like, you know, and so I think that's where the, um, the difference in time of what I expected and what I did it in was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same time, there were, I, we were seeing other people being carted off the course who were, un, who were unable to finish because of injuries. So it's, it's one of the things you just have to do is respect what your body was telling you. Yeah. I did end up finishing. Uh, now, did you have any, uh, you talked about uh, your cane. But is there anything in particular, uh, any other unique uh, gear that you had? Uh, I saw some of the Facebook videos that you posted, or that or I guess the the Facebook lives, um, yeah. uh, where um, you know. So I saw some of the stuff that you were wearing. But is there was there anything that was unique about what what you uh, used? One of the things that wouldn't be obvious from the Facebook Live videos is in my, and this is just from my regular day-to-day walking, too, I have a half-inch leg discrepancy between my left leg is a half-inch longer than my right, so I have uh, foot orthotics in my shoes to, uh, in my right shoe, it has, like, kind of a lift. To compensate for that, so that would that's something I, I use on a daily basis uh, when just walking. That was something that would have that was that I was using to kind of uh, 
to help leave the height discrepancy. But outside of that, I can't really think of anything that I used special that would have been um, that you wouldn't have been able to see yeah. in the video. Um, I also saw uh, people cheering you on and calling you an inspiration and uh, um, just an uh, overall kind of sense. Did, did, were there people that knew that you were doing this um, and were there for you specifically to cheer you on? Or was it just people who saw you while you were while you were in the race? It's a combination. There was a combination. I Actually, that day in our our um, area paper, the Plain Dealer, the they had a the Metro columnist did a story on me, mm-hmm. so about my training for the marathon, and that ran the day of the paper. So we had some passerbys who were like, "I saw you in the paper this morning and knew about it," uh, knew about me from that and then there were friends i invited out to uh basically cheer me to the finish because that was one of my things mentally was if i have people at the finish line waiting for me Hmm. it's going to be that extra motivation to get to the finish line instead of you know giving in to whatever physical pain i might be feeling Mm. and Two of my friends who, as I had told family family and friends to show up between one thirty and 2, as I expected to finish between 2, around 2. But once they, once a couple of friends of mine, once they got word that I was a lot farther behind than I had expected, they had actually... This is the, uh, the permit I mentioned earlier, the permit telepath people had ended at um, 2 o'clock, so the Cuyahoga Valley National Park opened back up to the public. And my a couple of friends I had, they, they decided, you know what, let's go find him. They, like, they knew I wasn't, I was around like the 19, I think they started walking towards uh, our way, I was on the 19th or 20th mile, and so they had walked out with about four miles left. They had caught up with us, and they walked with James and I the final four miles, and those are two of the individuals uh, seen in the um, the Facebook Live video of my, mm-hmm. of my finish. So they had actually said so they had showed up for me, and they made that decision, like, you know what, we're going to walk out, we're going to find Zach, and we're going to, you know, go go the rest of the way with him. And that really made the, at that point, I knew, like, four miles left, I was getting it done. Mm-hmm. But it made the last four miles a lot funner than they would have been otherwise. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, now, I wanted to ask you, too. Uh, with people calling you an inspiration, um, you know, certain, certain disability, you know, advocates and disability rights advocates are, uh, not comfortable with what they've done or, 
um, you know, their life being an inspiration. But I wanted to get your take on on that as far as, you know, how you feel about being called that. It really, my, I, I, I used to have that mindset where it was just like, you know, why am I, it's that attitude of I set a goal and I want to complete my goal. Just because I have a disability doesn't make me an inspiration. And I understand that mindset. But what really took me back was it going back three years, I had uh, I, my, I have an aunt who lives out in Tucson, Arizona, or had an aunt who lives out in Tucson, Arizona. And she had been diagnosed with leukemia and given two months to live. And she had always been one of my biggest supporters. So I went out there to with my uncle, her brother, to um, visit her and just be there to be support for her. And one night, me and her, we were having a conversation, and she called me. And I mentioned that she basically called me an inspiration, and I called her an inspiration. I called her an inspiration because she wasn't letting, despite the 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 bad hand that she was dealt with her leukemia and she didn't let that change who she was and she kept fighting. And to me, that was inspiring. She called me an inspiration. It was just like in the dialogue, it was just kind of like, well, I don't consider myself an inspiration. She didn't consider herself an inspiration, but so, in, and that's where I kind of realized, you know, inspir- uh, that is in the idea or being inspiration really is the eye of the beholder hmm. if you're inspirational. My whole thing with, I always, I would ask is, you know, if someone says you're inspiration, you know, is it just blind compliment because you have a disability? Or what, no, my question always is, what makes me an inspiration to you? So it's kind of like, I'm okay with being called an inspiration for, you know, especially for doing the marathon. If, you know, there was a, I had one biker who passed us after the course opened back up to the public. And then she wrote me later on, uh, she got my name off the results page and found my website. And she wrote me later on to tell me that she had, she at first thought I was like an injured runner. And then when she she was at the point where the finish line was, and she ended up talking with my uh, mother, who both my parents were there to also support me, and um, and talking to my mother, she found you know she found out cerebral palsy, and you know I was doing the marathon. She had done four marathons herself before. She said as a perfectly you know able-bodied person. I'm, you know, I know how difficult it is to do a marathon. So the, like, so she found me inspirational for the for the reason of even trying to attempt what I even once considered unreasonable hmm. for myself. So that, you know, having and I'm okay with that. I think that's great. You know, I, so I think it really, my opinion on the inspirational comment really weighs in is asking, well, why do you say that? You know, are you, um, you know, I think sometimes people mistake in like certain situations, people might mistake inspirational for just like 
in awe. And I like, and I know this is, works. I don't know if this works in all disability situations, but I know it relates to the marathon situation because I know I had a couple of individuals where I, where I work make mention to me that this past week that like I could have never done that. You know, you, you know, you inspire me. I could have never done that. I would be done after two miles or three miles. And it, in my mind, I it's like that's not really inspiring you. Then that that puts you in awe of what I've done. But you're not inspired to go out and do something like you know. You're not necessarily going out there to improve yourself, which I think is a part of what inspirational is. It's hmm. it being that motivation to go tackle something yourself. Hmm. Yeah, that's I like that perspective. Um, uh, the um, you know not being content with just being called an inspiration, but really digging in and and finding out uh, what that means to that person, and and uh, and also the idea of that something that you have done can spur on action, you know, for another person. So you know, I look at your life and and that makes me want to do something and, and causes me to do something. So, yeah, I like that perspective. Um, so, um, I have a couple more questions. Um, when you were, when you were running, uh, when, when you were, when you were in the race, the, the, the marathon, um, did you, did you feel like the, uh, I guess the, the marathon, was accessible to you as in like you said that you contacted them beforehand and saying, Hey, I'd really like to, you know, it's going to take me a long time to finish. I, um, can I have an earlier start time? Um, was there, did you feel like they were accommodating and was there anything else about the race that, that you, uh, felt like they made an accommodation for you for? The towpath race itself, like the course is pretty flat, which is really nice and a big reason why when my uh when James was like, What marathon are we going to do? I said the towpath because I knew it was pretty flat and it would be accessible. And they were very uh so uh, they were very accommodating. Uh, the person who responded to my initial email, she actually had uh I came from talking with her and, and arranging everything, I came to know that she has a, or she had a nephew who passed away who had cerebral palsy. So I, I don't know if that helped at all mm-hmm. to make her more understanding of what I was going through or, you know, kind of like more understanding of my situation. But they were very accommodating. I know that's not always the case when someone when someone asks what you know ask for accommodations you know and that's one of the things like one of the fears you kind of have sometimes you trick yourself into thinking it's like well I don't want to be in the way and it's just like you know that you know just it's all about you know inclusion John Quinn going back to him for a second he has a great definition for inclusion and that is having the opportunity to complete something. So mm. it's like, give it, give me the same opportunity to do it. And it, 
for me, it was just time. And they they were very accommodating with their attitude. And in general, I have found that, I mean, they, I was, I kept a group of, I kept a group of people who were working the uh, marathon three hours past their, what they normally would have been there for because they were, were waiting for me to finish and see this thing through. And so I think during the middle of the race, you know, my, there might have been some who were, like, waiting for me to drop out, but yeah. they were, like, been, they, because I remember it was, like, around the 16-mile mark, there is, uh, there's an aid station, Gatorade Water, and when I, whoever was working that station, I, they, after I drank in the water and the Gatorade, I was like, keep going this way, and pointed to the direction, he goes, he was just kind of surprised, he's like, you're continuing on, I'm like, yeah, and he's like, yeah, go that way, so I think there was some um, surprise individuals that I think they're like, they were waiting for that point where I would drop out, but no, I don't, I don't, but it was never kind of like either, like it was never, I, I might have been oblivious to it, but I never, what, like, I never felt like that was pushed on me, like, really, you're continuing on? Like, I never was pushed on me. They, they gave me that opportunity to finish, and they were accommodating. I think some of it might have gone to uh, the contact I had was uh, Kathy, and I think some of it would, went to her own history with cerebral palsy, having a nephew who had had cerebral palsy. So they were very, the course is accessible. It's a great course in that fashion. You know, there's, it's in the park, it's in a park. So there are some issues like, you know, uh, I did fall twice in mile three and mile 15 and mile three, I had tripped over, uh, there's like a, um, a monkey ball that had fallen from a tree or whatever. And, that I had, like, I stepped on and I slipped and went down to my knees, but it was, like, you know, that's something I could have, um, well, it's just, it, it was, like, some, like, it's impossible, I think it would be impossible to expect them to clear every debris, right. all the debris from the, from the course. So right. I, I felt like they were reasonably account, um, accommodating more than re, I, they were very accommodating in both, you know, the actual course and then their attitudes towards me. That's great. That's really good. Um, so I'm going to ask you probably what a lot of people have asked you. So, You've run your marathon, so what? What is next <laughs> in in uh, for Zachary Fennell? Uh There's um, you know a lot next. There's a lot to continue. I know with the marathon itself, I honestly would like to get the marathon my my finish time under ten hours. So I'm going to. I am James and I are already talking about going back and doing the towpath again next year. And I would like to, as far as races go and, you know, that aspect, I would like to get my marathon down under 10 hours. So 
working on increasing my pace and, you know, continuing training to do that, that's definitely um, in the, you know, that's something I plan to do. I think from the response I have received all week from the marathon, I'm also thinking about putting together, or I'm actually in the works of putting, I'm going to, no release date yet, but I would like to put together a, um, a memoir, my second memoir, that kind of details the that marathon journey for me and kind of with, you know, the I share my story with the hopes of, I don't, I don't share to brag. I share because in hopes of exactly what I talked about as far as, you know, inspiring and, you know, helping, hopefully helping others see what they might at once considered unreasonable, mm. attack it and go to work at it and then um, achieve what they once maybe thought was impossible for them. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, good luck with the um, the other memoir. And I will also be uh, contributing to Think Inclusive in the future as well. That's... My, my training kind of, you know, took me away there for a second, but uh, for, for some. But yeah, you can definitely expect to see my contributions to Think Inclusive in the future as well. Oh, that's yeah, that's good news for us. <laughs> um, I also want to mention to uh, everyone that's listening um, that uh, Zachary has uh, his first memoir, uh, Off Balanced, and, and you can find that on, I know you can find that on Amazon. Can they find it on your website too? Yeah, I have, inform- I have information. I, I have all the information on my website, so they they could get all the details of where they can find it at, on my website. Okay. And did you want to plug anything else? Uh, I know, do you have a Facebook page and, um, a t- and Twitter? Yeah. 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 If, you know, basically if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so on Twitter at Zachary Fennell. It's Fennell, my last name, F-E-N-E-L-L. And then Zachary's V A C H A R Y, so Z A C H A R Y F E N E L L. And then my Facebook page is um, facebook.com backslash author Zachary Fennell, so A U T H O R, and my name. And you'll find me there. And yeah, I'm always uh, one of the most rewarding things is, you know, is getting feedback from individuals. I also have a YouTube channel that is youtube.com backslash my name, Zachary Fennell. So that would be, and, you know, I do, I put together a YouTube video every week. So that'd be something to, uh, something else to check out online. But like I said, I like, I always enjoy getting feedback. Um, from viewers, readers, whatever descriptor you fit in. So just having a conversation. So feel free to uh, reach out to me on uh, Facebook, Twitter. Check out my YouTube channel. All right. Uh, 
Zachary Fennell, thank you for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That is our show. We would like to thank speaker and author Zachary Fennell. Make sure you check out his website, ZacharyFennell.com, and you can find him on Facebook and Twitter. Follow Think Inclusive on the web at thinkinclusive.us, as well as Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and Instagram. Today's show was produced by myself talking into USB headphones, a Zoom H1 handy recorder, MacBook Pro, GarageBand, and a Skype account. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Podomatic.com, the largest community of independent podcasters on the planet. From Marietta, Georgia, please join us again on the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for your time and attention. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.